Chapter Seven of Ronicky Doone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Rowdy Delaney, Idaho, USA. Ronicky Doone, by Max Brand. Chapter Seven, The First Clue. They did not refer to the incidents of that odd reception in New York until they had located a small hotel for themselves, not three blocks away. It was no cheaper, but they found a pleasant room, clean with electric lights. It was not until they had bathed and were propped up in their beds for a good night's smoke, which cowpunchers love, that Bill Gregg asked, "And what gave you the tip, Ronicky?" "I don't know. In my business, you learn to watch faces, Bill." Suppose you sit down at a five-handed game of poker. One gent says everything with his face while he's picking up his cards. Another gent don't say a thing, but he shows what he's got by the way he moves his chair or the way he opens and shuts his hands. When you said something about our wad, I seen the taxi driver blink. Right after that, he got terrible friendly and said he could steer us to a friend of his that could put us up for the night pretty comfortable. Well, it wasn't hard to put two and two together. Not that I figured anything out, just was walking on my toes, ready to jump in any direction. As for Bill Gregg, he brooded for a time on what he had heard, then shook his head and sighed. "I'd be a mighty helpless kid in this here town if I didn't have you along, Ronicky," he said. "Nope," insisted Ronicky. "Long as you use another gent for a sort of guide, you feel kind of helpless. But when you step off for yourself, everything is pretty easy." You were just waiting for me to take the lead, or you'd have done just as much by yourself. Again, Bill Gregg sighed as he shook his head. If this is what New York is like, he said, we're in for a pretty bad time. And this is what they call a civilized town. Great guns! They need martial law and a thousand policemen to the block to keep a gent's life and pocketbook safe in this town. First gent we meet tries to bump us off and get our wad. Don't look like we're going to have much luck, Ronicky. We saved our hides, I guess. That's about all, and we learned something. Sure. Then I figure it was a pretty good night. Another thing, Bill. I got an idea from that taxi gent. I figure that a whole gang of taxi men are pretty sharp in the eye. What I mean is that we can tramp up and down along this here East River, and now and then we'll talk to some taxi men that do most of their work from stands in them parts of the town. Maybe we can get on our trail that way. Anyways, it's an opening. Maybe said Bill Gregg dubiously. He reached under his pillow, but I'm sure going to sleep with my gun under my head in this town. With this remark, he settled himself for repose and presently was snoring loudly. Ronicky. Presented a brave face to the morning, and at once started with Bill Gregg to tour along the East River. That first day, Ronicky insisted that they simply walk over the whole ground so as to become fairly familiar with the scale of their task. They managed to make the trip before night and returned to their hotel, footsore from the hard, hot pavements. There was something unkindly and ungenerous in those pavements. It seemed to Ronicky. He was discovering, to his great amazement, that the loneliness of the mountain desert is nothing at all compared to the loneliness of the Manhattan crowd. The very gloomy and silent cowpunchers ate their dinner that night and went to bed early. 
but in the morning they began the actual work of their campaign. It was an arduous labor. It meant interviewing in every district one or two shopkeepers, and asking the mail carriers for Carolyn Smith, and showing the picture to taxi drivers. These latter were the men, insisted Ronicky, who would eventually bring them to Carolyn Smith. Because if they've ever drove a girl as pretty as that, they'll remember for quite a while. But half these gents ain't going to talk to us, even if they know, Bill Gregg protested, after he had been gruffly refused an answer a dozen times in the first morning. Some of them won't talk, admitted Ronicky, but that's probably because they don't know. Take them by and large, most gents like to tell everything they know, and then some. As a matter of fact, they met with rather more help than they wanted. In spite of all their efforts to remain casual, there was something too romantic in this search for a girl to remain entirely unnoticed. People whom they asked became excited and offered them a thousand suggestions. Everybody, it seemed, had somewhere, somehow, heard of a Carolyn Smith living on his own block, and everyone remembered dimly having passed a girl on the street who looked exactly like Carolyn Smith. But they went resolutely on, running down a thousand false clues, and finding at the end of each something more ludicrous than what had gone before. Maiden ladies with many teeth and big glasses they found, and they discovered at the end of the trails on which they were to go, young women, and old, ugly girls, and pretty ones, but never anyone who in the slightest degree resembled Carolyn Smith. In the meantime, they were working back and forth in their progress along the East River. From the slums to the better residence districts. They bought newspapers at little stationery stores and worked up chance conversations with the clerks, particularly girl clerks, whenever they could find them. Because women have an eye for faces, Ronicky would say, and if a girl like Carolyn Smith came into the shop, she'd be remembered for a while. But for ten days they labored without a ghost of a success. Then they noticed the taxi stands along the east side and worked them as carefully as they could. And it was on the evening of the eleventh day of the search that they reached the first clue. They had found a taxi drawn up before a saloon, converted into an eating place, and when they went inside they found the driver alone in the restaurant. They worked up a conversation as they had done a hundred times before, and Greg produced the picture and began showing it to Ronicky. Maybe the ladies around here, said Ronicky, but I'm new in this part of town. He took the picture and turned to the taxi driver. Maybe you've been around this part of town and know the folks here. Ever see this girl around? And he passed the picture to the other. The taxi driver bowed his head over it in a close scrutiny. When he looked up, his face was blank. I don't know. Let me see. I think I seen a girl like her the other day, waiting for the traffic to pass at 72nd and Broadway. Yep, she sure was a ringer for this picture. He passed the picture back, and a moment later he finished his meal. He paid his check and went sauntering through the door. Quick, said Ronicky, the moment the chauffeur had disappeared. Pay the check and come along. That fellow knows something. Bill Gregg, greatly excited, obeyed, and they hurried to the door of the place. They were in time to see the taxi driver lurch away from the curb and go humming down the street, while the driver leaned out to the side and looked back. He didn't see us, said Ronicky, confidently. But what did he leave for? He's going to tell somebody somewhere that we're looking for Carolyn Smith. Come on. He stepped out to the curb and stopped a passing taxi. Follow that machine and keep a block away from it, he ordered. Bootlegger? asked the taxi driver cheerily. I don't know. 
but just drift along behind him till he stops. Can you do that? Watch me. And with Ronicky and Bill Gregg installed in his machine, he started smoothly on the trail. Straight down the cross street, under the roaring elevated tracks of Second and Third Avenues, they passed, and on First Avenue, they turned and darted sharply south for a round dozen blocks, then went due east and came to a halt after a brief run. He stopped in Beekman Place, said the driver, jerking open the door. If I run in there, he'll see me. Ronicky stepped out of the machine, paid him, and dismissed him with a word of praise for his fine trailing. Then he stepped around the corner. What he saw was a little street closed at both ends, and only two or three blocks long. It had the serene, detached air of a village a thousand miles from any great city, with its grave rows of homely houses standing solemnly face to face. Well to the left, the 59th Street Bridge swung its great arch across the river, and it led, Ronicky knew, to Long Island City beyond, but here everything was cupped in the village quiet. The machine which they had been pursuing was drawn up on the right hand side of the street, looking south, and even as Ronicky glanced around the corner he saw the driver leave his seat, dart up a flight of stairs, and ring the bell. Ronicky could not see who opened the door, but after a moment of talk the chauffeur from the car they had pursued was allowed to enter. And as he stepped across the threshold, he drew off his cap with a touch of reverence which seemed totally out of keeping for his character as Ronicky had seen it. Bill, he said to Greg, we've got something. You see him go up those steps to that house? Sure. Bill Greg's eyes were flashing with excitement. That house has somebody in it who knows Carolyn Smith, and that somebody is excited because we're hunting for her, said Bill. Maybe it holds Carolyn Smith herself. Who can tell that? Let's go see. Wait till the taxi driver goes. If he wanted us to know about Carolyn, he'd have told us. He doesn't want us to know, and he'd maybe take it pretty much to heart if he knew we'd followed him. What he thinks doesn't worry me none. I can tend to three like him. Maybe, but you couldn't handle thirty, and coyotes like him hunt in packs, always. The best fighting pair of coyotes that ever stepped wouldn't have no chance against a loafer wolf, but no loafer wolf could stand off a dozen or so of the little devils. So keep clear of these little rat faced gents, Bill. They hunt in crowds. Presently they saw the chauffeur coming down the steps. Even at that distance it could be seen that he was smiling broadly, and that he was intensely pleased with himself and the rest of the world. Starting up his machine, he swung it around dexterously, as only New York taxi drivers can, and sped down the street by the way he had come, passing Greg and Ronicky, who had flattened themselves against the fence to keep from being seen. They observed that while he controlled the car with one hand, With the other, he was examining the contents of his wallet. Money for him! exclaimed Ronicky as soon as the car was out of sight around the corner. This begins to look pretty thick, Bill. Because he goes and tells them that he's taken us off the trail, they not only thank him, but they pay him for it. And, by the face of him as he went by, they pay him pretty high. Bill, it's easy to figure that they don't want any friend near Carolyn Smith, and most like they don't even want us near that house. I only want to go near it once, said Bill Gregg. I just want to find out if the girl's there. Go break in on em? Break in, Ronicky? That's burglary. It sure is. I'll just ask for Carolyn Smith at the door. Try it. 
The irony made Bill Gregg stop in the very act of leaving and glance back, but he went on again resolutely and stamped up the steps to the front door of the house. It was opened to him almost at once by a woman, for Bill's hat came off. For a moment he was explaining. Then there was a pause in his gestures as she made the reply. Finally he spoke again, but was cut short by the loud banging of the door. Bill Gregg drew himself up rigidly. and slowly replaced the hat on his head. If a man had turned that trick on him, a forty-five caliber slug would have gone crashing through the door in search of him to tell him a westerner's opinion of such manners. Ronicky Doone could not help smiling to himself as he saw Bill Gregg stamp stiffly down the stairs, limping a little on his wounded leg, and come back with a grave dignity to the starting point. He was still crimson to the roots of his hair. Let's start, he said. If that happens again, I'll be doing a couple murders in this here town and getting myself hung. What happened? An old hag jerked open the door after I rang the bell. I asked her nice and polite if a lady named Carolyn Smith was in the house. No, she says, and if she was, what's it to you? I told her I'd come a long ways to see Carolyn. Then you go a long ways back without seeing Carolyn, says the withered old witch, and she banged the door right in my face. Man, I'm still seeing red. Them words of the old woman were whips, and every one of them sure took off my hide. I used to think that old lady Moore in Martindale was a pretty nasty talker, but this one laid her over a mile. But we're beat, Ronicky. You couldn't get by that old woman with a thousand men. Maybe not, said Ronicky, but we're going to try. Did you look at the house across the street and see a sign a while ago? Which side? Side right opposite Carolyn's house. Sure. Room to rent. Thought so. Then that's our room. Eh? That's our room, partner. And right at the front window, over the street, one of us is going to keep watch day and night till we make sure that Carolyn Smith don't live in that house. Is that right? That's a great idea. He started away from the fence. Wait. Ronicky caught him by the shoulder and held him back. We'll wait till night. And then go and get the room. If Carolyn is in the house yonder, and they know we're looking for her, it's easy that she won't be allowed to come out of the front of the house so long as we're perched up at that window, waiting to see her. We'll come back tonight and start waiting. End of chapter 7